The first lesson comes from the second chapter of Revelation, beginning with the eighth verse. And to the angel of the church in Samarna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. As we parachute in and get to eavesdrop again in what Jesus is saying to his church in Smyrna in the book of Revelation, uh, we now also get to hear what he is speaking to us in Albuquerque. And maybe you're wondering, what does it mean that we hear again that Jesus is the beginning and the end? This is the second time we've heard that first Alpha and Omega, and it'll be the third time when we get to Revelation 22 that we'll hear it again. Repeated over and over that Jesus is our beginning and our end. To help us, I think, understand just what that means, uh, the life of the Apostle Peter, I think, will help us today in our time in Revelation. For on the Sea of Galilee, when maybe some of you know this story, when Jesus was coming out while the disciples, Peter included, were on the boat, buffeted by wind and waves, and Jesus walked on water. And as he came to them, they saw him and they were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. Peter recognized him and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me out. And Peter, in a step of faith and entrusting his Lord, actually stepped outside the boat and walked on water with Jesus. But not soon after, not long after, I mean, he, <laughs> he saw those waves and he saw that wind and he turned his gaze from Jesus to what was buffeting their boats, and he began to sink. I don't know about you, but the waves and the wind, they catch my attention all the time. And sadly, turn my eyes away from Jesus. But thankfully, we have a gracious God who keeps calling us, and we hear in that text, he immediately reached out and rescued Peter and reached out his hand. The church in Smyrna in the book of Revelation, unlike Peter in that moment, are not being corrected for turning their eyes away from Jesus. In fact, just the opposite. In the midst of being buffeted by waves, by hardship, they remained with their eyes on Jesus So today we're invited to hold on to that truth. Maybe you remember last week when we talked about not losing our first love, which is Christ. It's easy for us to remember that maybe Jesus loves us, but hard for us to remember that when things are coming out 
after us when hardships we face keep seeming to come after us? Why does Jesus love us and then having, it seems, allow so many bad things to continue to happen against us? And as those bad things keep coming to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says to them, and he says to us, I know. I know the tribulations that you're facing. I know your poverty. I know. And he says to you, he says to me, he says to them, I died and I came to life. Jesus comes to us in the midst of those hardships and reminds us that when we die with him, we also rise with him. As we read in Romans 6 in our baptism, we are with Christ because he is with us. The church in Smyrna is only one of two of the seven churches that actually didn't need or didn't get a correction, but only encouragement They were suffering a great deal. They were suffering financially. That word poverty that you read in today's text is literal. They were suffering loss because of their stand in Christ. They suffered socially and communally. And they suffered even unto death. When it says in the text today that they a weight in prison. Prison at that time was like death row. It wasn't uh, anything more than waiting until the conviction would come and life would end. And so Jesus said to them, and Jesus says to you, in whatever hardship you are facing, fear not. He says to Smyrna, in the midst of all of this suffering, he says to not be afraid because he's died and risen, and he is with us. Now, Smyrna, if you look on the map on the cover of your bulletin, whether you use that uh, digitally or in paper, is the next church up in that circle of churches, just 40 miles north of Ephesus. And as we travel around the circle, it's... uh, I think important to note there were other churches besides these seven in the region like Colossae who Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to. And so it's clear that as we go around this circle of churches and read these letters to those churches that these messages as they were collected together weren't just meant for these seven churches but for the whole church including the church today as we receive it. And this Town, this city, Smyrna, which is, by the way, the uh, under a different name, the only city that still stands today, was a favorite of Rome. They had been destroyed the previous century, and they were proud of their rebuild. Proud because they went about their resurrection from death by affiliating politically with Rome. And they did that by becoming a favorite of Rome. In fact, one of 26 cities, first of, to have a temple to the emperor. And so this imperial cult that uh, was celebrated in a big part of the life in this 
now highly sophisticated and well-off city was a big part of their identity. They would cast incense on the fire of the altar to Caesar and say that Caesar is Lord. Now the Jews were exempt from this practice, but no one else was. And so the Christians who refused to call Caesar Lord then didn't just miss out on a religious practice and didn't just stand out because of that, but they were missing out on one of the most central parts of the economy. And so they lost their financial well-being by confessing Christ. Further, as Smyrna was proud of this rebound history, it isolated Christians socially. It isolated them uh, even communally, who, many of whom had identified with the, the Jewish heritage. But the Romans wouldn't just prosecute those who wouldn't throw incense to Caesar randomly. Their, their work was too broad and big, but they would when someone reported it to them. And so many scholars believe that the uh, Jews not wanting to be the target of Rome and not too happy with the Christians who are now worshiping Jesus were reporting the Christians as no longer part of their community and therefore liable to this Caesar worship. And when they weren't, then these Christians were being brought on charges of tyranny and of being dangerous and of not worshiping Caesar. That's why we get this phrase, those who oppose, Satan means adversary or opponent of God, the synagogue of Satan. This was a a term that is shocking to our ear today, sadly, because so many anti-Semites later would use it wrongly. But it's actually a Jewish phrase found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and a, common, a, a, a term that was used to talk about synagogues that were no longer following the way of Yahweh. And it was also a term we can hear Jesus using. When he talks to, here's Peter's life helping us once again, when Peter was opposing Jesus going to Jerusalem where he would be killed, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And so this term lets us know that the Christians in Smyrna had identified with God's people, the Jews, but now were even being rejected there because they were remaining faithful to Christ who died and rose again. And so he invites us, Jesus does, to be faithful unto death. The Christians had much to navigate in this time. As historian Larry Hurtado said, Christians had to avoid drawing the iron accusations of non-Christians while also advocating and living out their own beliefs and practices. This likely involved many complicated decisions about what they felt they could or could not do in society. But remember the word that Jesus is giving the church then? It's a word he's giving us today. To fear not. 
whatever harsh thing you are facing right now, whether in the midst of the culture we live in or the heartache of some loss or difficulty in your life, Jesus says to remain faithful, to do not fear because he has died and he has risen. He's our beginning. He's our end. And so we can have hope even in the midst of all of that suffering. And do you know that the church in the midst of this suffering on every outside measure, they mean they were poor, they had no, they had no uh, standing in the culture as any authoritative voice. And yet, they grew. As scholars will write later, the church grew by the blood of the martyrs. The church grew not by success, but by suffering. Jesus' plan was death and resurrection. His strategy. The same one, now we can get help from Peter's life again here. When Peter was restored by Jesus and forgiven, he then told, he then told Peter, feed my sheep. You will be led where you do not want to go, he said, to indicate what kind of death Peter would die in serving the Lord. Now, it's not something we put on posters to welcome new members, right? You'll be led where you don't want to go. Come join our church, right? But this is Jesus leading us. And the church grew in the midst of suffering. And he led a, that church to love. You know, at that time, their actions mattered as they do today. And you know how the church responded underneath the suffering? They cared for the hungry. They cared for the unwanted infants, mostly girls because Girls were less valuable in that society, sadly, than boys who were left for infant exposure, it was called, just left for dead after they were born. But this impoverished church would take those girls in and welcome them and care for them. And they refused to worship the emperor and throw incense on the fire. Now you can believe that there are those who would throw incense on the fire that didn't actually think the emperor was a god, but they did it for a social standing. But the church said, no, only Jesus is Lord. And Diognetus, a, a second century historian, pointed out that they also had a different sexual ethic. As he wrote a, often quoted, they shared their food but not their wives or their marriage beds. And because of their love for others, their stand for the gospel, Pliny, among others who served the emperor, called Christians dangerous. All along, Jesus' strategy for the church was this, to love, to be faithful, his strategy was as it was, death and resurrection. Now sometimes when we face hardship in our lives today or stand up for the gospel and things are difficult, we are often, we 
looking and seeing those winds and waves buffeting against us and we can't help sometimes but ask, why? Jesus' answer to the church then and to you right now today is this. It's not with a great explanation of the hard difficulties that you're facing with a great answer that explains it all, but rather what he did for them. He said, I know. I'm with you. I died and I rose again and you can have hope. I'm your beginning and your end. He gives us, as Jeff White puts it, himself. He gives us himself. That's his answer. And that this suffering will not last forever. The, the scholars who hear that phrase in being tested for 10 days let us know that that's not a literal 10 days. It's to let us know that this suffering will not last forever. It's also to point to the Jewish readers of this letter who would know of Daniel who faced another hostile culture back in the Old Testament. And for 10 days, they ate only the food that would honor their Jewish diet instead of the food that the culture wanted them to eat and they proved that God would be faithful to them. And so God says to face the test today with himself, Jesus, the one who died and rose again, your beginning and your end. And the crown that you will see, and crowns were really popular in Smyrna at the time, that athletic achievements would often receive a, a crown that they were so proud of they'd even put with them when they were buried. These crowns were made out of olive or laurel or pine or celery, and of course they would very quickly disintegrate in their making, but Jesus gives us, we hear here, a crown of life that is imperishable, eternal life. That same crown is referenced later in the book of Revelation in chapter 12. This eternal life is imperishable. Whatever hardship you are facing now, he is your beginning, he is your end. And this promise is for you. He is with you. As he was with the church in Smyrna, he is with us. As we seek to love and stand in faithfulness, we await the crown that he has for us. A few decades later, after this letter was written, the bishop in the of that church, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp would continue to remain faithful to Christ. And when they came to arrest him, to put him on trial, to get him to recant or die, you know what he did? He invited those who came over, would you like some food? Would you like some drink? And he fed them. And he gave them drink. And while they ate and drank in his home, he prayed for three hours, second century historians tell us, and then he went out and was told to recant of his faith. And he said this, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And with that confession, they would bring him to the fire pit to be killed for his faith. 
but he refused to be bound. He said, I'll stand here for Christ. You don't need to bind me. And so what is God's plan in the face of hardship and suffering? It's death and resurrection. We respond with Jesus. So whatever you're facing right now, whether it's a battle with cancer or a battle with culture, God invites us to stand and remain in him for he comes as our beginning and our end with the hope of the resurrection, with the gift of faithfulness and the crown of life. And so we hear, as Jesus says in this text, let him who has ears, let them hear. Amen.